0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today, I want to talk about an aspect of church life that has changed fairly significantly over my lifetime, and I'm sad to say, not in really healthy ways. I want to talk to you today about the practice of receiving, or in many cases, of not receiving offerings during worship services, I want to talk today about reclaiming the importance of offerings. Now, what happened to the offering as a part of worship services? When I was a young man in ministry, every worship service included an offering. Uh, There was a time when uh, there was music played and there were plates or baskets passed, and then there was generally a time of bringing that offering to the front of the auditorium or the front of the sanctuary. Uh, it was placed in a, in a prominent location, and there was some kind of dedicatory prayer given for the offering. And this was a routine and normal part of public worship. But what happened uh, to the offering re- being done that way? Well, several things happened to change our practices. First, in the 1980s, there were a number of scandals related to televangelists. They were very prominent, and they revolved around money. And so that caused many Christian leaders to shy away from uh, talking about money in public settings and talking especially about offerings or receiving offerings in those contexts. And that led into a movement in the 1990s, which came to be called the seeker-sensitive movement or the seeker-sensitive worship movement. Now, I was a part of that as a church planter in the 90s, and the best parts of being seeker-sensitive were structuring worship services so that unbelievers could understand them and access them and participate in them. Uh, The worst parts of seeker-sensitive worship planning, though, caused leaders to make decisions to eliminate things from church worship services that they thought were somehow offensive to seekers. Well, another aspect that uh, changed the role of offerings in worship services was that for some leaders, passing the plate seemed like uh, begging or pleading for money. Uh, when you stopped and, and you stopped in a worship service to, to do this act of actually physically asking people to put something in the plate, uh, it, it smacked for some leaders as being a, 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 a process that lacked integrity or that somehow was begging or pleading in a way that wasn't healthy. Another issue that's changed the role of the offering is the changing expectations of worship as performance made the offering a time waster. Now, this is a whole other podcast I'd like to do sometime, but so much of what is called worship today is really a concert or a performance that the rest of us watch and somehow in that experience are supposed to feel that we've worshiped. As I say, that's another podcast, but this changing perspective on worship as performance uh, took the offering out because it was a time waster. You couldn't perform very well if people were distracted by doing something as innocuous or inane as giving money into an offering basket. And then another thing that has harmed or limited the offering in worship is the emergence of electronic giving and monthly giving. Now, this isn't going to go away, and so that's I'm not railing against either one of those things. I I actually give monthly, and um uh, and I give some of my offerings electronically, and so I understand that these are common practices today, and so I'm not speaking against them. But what I am saying is that these practices have diminished the role or the importance of the offering as a component of a worship service. So what happened to the offering as a component of public worship? Well, the televangelist scandals of the '80s, the seeker incentive movement of the '90s, uh, the fear that some leaders have that passing the plate or a physical act of asking for an offering looks like pleading or begging, uh, the changing expectations of worship, moving it more toward performance, have eliminated the need or eliminated the offering because it's seen as a time waster. And then electronic giving and monthly giving has diminished the weekly. Uh, practice of offerings as a being a part of worship services. But I want to mention three other things that aren't often talked about uh, that I think are reasons that some leaders avoid uh, receiving an offering. Now, these aren't often talked about and, and they're sensitive, but I'm going to lay them out there for you today. First of all, some leaders don't want to receive an offering because frankly, they don't give. Now, I know it's hard to hear that. But many Christian leaders do not give generously to their own ministries. They have all kinds of reasons and justifications and excuses, but the bottom line is they just simply don't do it. I have a friend that's an accountant and he gives free or discounted uh, accounting services or tax services to ministers. And he does, uh, at one count, he told me about 85 to 90 tax returns a year for people involved in ministry. And he said that the high majority of them, somewhere in the 70 to 80% range, didn't give a tithe of their income or more to Christian work the the previous year. Now, I know that's a small sample, but listen, I I talk to ministry leaders. I I listen to what they're saying about money. And the fact of the matter is some don't want to receive an offering because they know they're being hypocritical in the act because they don't give. Look, if you don't give a tithe or more of your income to Christian work and if you don't invest at least that much in the ministry you're leading, then you're not fit to lead. Uh, I I have no compromise on that, no back down in that statement. Uh, You aren't fit to lead if you aren't at a place in your personal stewardship where you're giving generously to the ministry you're trying to lead. That's why I've always given a tithe of my income to my church and another five percent of my income to Gateway Seminary Uh, because I want people to know I'm invested in the seminary and what I'm trying to accomplish here. Uh, And so moving well beyond the tithe and giving even more is something that every leader has to do in order to be an effective leader of people in their stewardship responsibilities. And you say, yeah, but you can do that because you make a good salary. No, I did that kind of giving when I was a church planter. This is not new for me. My wife and I have never, ever, given a tithe or 10% of our income. We've always given more. We made that commitment the month we got married, and we've continued it even until today. And so leaders don't want to receive an offering because, frankly, they know they're not giving, and they'd be embarrassed if that were known. Another reason that leaders don't like to receive offerings is they over-spiritualize financial issues. They say, well, God will provide. Well, yeah, God will provide. But you know how God's going to provide? By people giving the money. You know how they're going to give the money? By being challenged and asked to make the offerings. That's how they're going to do it. Um, I, I'm astounded that, that leaders don't get this, this, this basic insight that, that, that God does provide, but God provides through people, and people have to be asked, and those people then decide if they're going to give or not. I have this all the time here at the seminary where people say, well, do you have any scholarship for me? And I say, probably, but, but if we do give you a scholarship, I'd like to know who you, who you would suggest that we go and ask for the money. And they say, well, oh, you, 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 I don't want you asking my family or my friends or my church. And I say, well, why not? I mean, I've got to go ask somebody's family and somebody's friends and somebody's church to give the money. Uh, it's going to be given by Somebody. And so it really reflects on a poor understanding of where the money comes from and an over-spiritualization of, quote, God will provide that we're not willing to ask people to give to the ministries we lead. And then another real reason that leaders don't like to receive offerings is they underestimate the financial attendance of their members and their attenders. Now I'll talk about this more in a few minutes, but... Uh, I learned as a church planter that people who came to my church that weren't even Christians were very interested in how our church was supported financially and how we managed our money. And I learned that when I was transparent about that and honest about that, that they were very willing to give because they understood the bills had to be paid. They just got that. They didn't have to be told that. But they wanted to know, how are the bills paid? Who decides who pays the bills? Who decides how much money is spent? And if I do give money, how will it be accounted for? They wanted to know these things. And so, by, and many church leaders think that their members or their attenders don't care about these issues, but I'm telling you, clearly, they do. So there's three reasons why people don't want to receive offerings. They aren't giving themselves, they over-spiritualize how God provides, and they underestimate the financial interest of the people who are making the gifts. So the third question I want to ask this then is why... Are, what are some reasons, on a more positive note, that offering the offering must be reclaimed as an act of worship? We've looked at some of the negative, what happened to the offering. Now, why must we reclaim it? Well, here's three reasons. Number one, offerings are a part of worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is hard to preach or teach on the subject of worship and use biblical text without referencing offerings. Now, I know that today when people say worship, what they usually mean is singing, and I certainly enjoy singing, and I like to worship that way. But the Bible also says that worship involves praying, worship involves giving, worship involves a number of aspects that are not connected to singing. And to have a one-dimensional perspective on worship is to truncate what the Bible says on this important theme. So if you do an honest Bible study of worship services in the New Testament and the Old Testament, if you look at times when people were called together for the specific purpose of offering, of giving worship to God, you're going to see that included prayer, it included scripture reading, it included uh physical response like kneeling or falling down on your face, like bowing your head, like raising your hands, and it also included giving an offering. It includes all of those things in addition to singing, not in place of singing. Another reason the offering must be reclaimed is that money represents life, particularly in Western culture. It's a powerful symbol. In fact, it's our most powerful symbol of giving ourselves to God. Most people involved in your church or ministry worked 40 or 50 or 60 hours this week, and they did that in exchange for money. So the money represents their life. It represents where they spent their time, how they invested their energy. It invested what they did to provide for themselves and to provide a means or an opportunity or 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 a vehicle by which they can give something of themselves to God by giving to his work. So money represents life in Western culture. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say money was life. I said it represents life. We exchange our lives in the process of work, and through doing that, we receive money in return. And so money represents life. It represents time spent. It represents energy invested. It represents life. And so when we come on a Sunday and give an offering of money, we are giving that offering in a sense by giving something of our life back to God. So offerings are a part of worship and money represents life in western culture and third we must reclaim the offering because an offering is the offering is a teaching moment it's a disciple making moment in worship services. Now there is a lot of talk today about reclaiming discipleship as the mandate of the church. I hear this over and over and over, and I support that as long as we define discipleship appropriately. Discipleship is not about uh, taking weak Christians and making them into strong Christians. Discipleship is about taking non-Christians and turning them into growing Christians, and we got to remember that. And a part of discipleship is helping people understand how to disciple their money. In fact, if you take the teaching of Jesus uh, in proportion to all the issues he addressed, you'd be hard pressed to find any other subject that he addressed more than dealing with our possessions, dealing with our resources, dealing with our money in terms of his, uh, in terms of following him and learning what it means to be his disciple. So. We must reclaim the offering as an act of worship because it's a part of worship as described in the bible both old and new testament money represents life in western culture it's the means or the vehicle by which we come to god and say i want to give some of myself to you by giving something to your work and the offering is a discipleship moment in worship services themselves it's an opportunity to teach consistently and regularly about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, let me expand on that for a little bit by asking and answering another question. How can the offering be a discipleship moment? Well, let me give you four reasons, or four ways. First, the offering can help leaders remind people that money represents life, and giving it is a symbol of giving life, some of your life, back to God. There's not anything wrong with a leader saying you've worked hard for your money this week. You've been a plumber, a school teacher, a coach. You've been a truck driver. You've invested yourself so that you might receive in return financial remuneration. And now today, you've come to give some of that to God. So in a sense, you're giving some of yourself. You're giving your life back to God. Another uh, reason is that leaders can use the offering to remind people of their stewardship responsibility, to manage their money so that they have some to give to God, and not just some, but that they come with their first fruits, come with their best offering, come with a priority commitment to reserving resources so that they might give that which belongs to God. Another way the offering can be a discipleship moment is by teaching uh, people that the offering is the way they connect themselves To church ministry being accomplished. When you give an offering, you're enabling youth ministry, you're enabling evangelism projects, you're enabling uh, mission programs, you're enabling the church to do its work. And by connecting the offering to different aspects of church ministry on a regular basis, you show uh, how. Uh, Life is invested through resources, which results in ministry being accomplished. Discipleship, is that's a means of discipleship about the importance of and the centrality of church ministry. And then uh, you can also use the offering as an opportunity to teach people that global ministry results from offerings being given. Um, I know these days that... uh, uh, we want to focus on going and getting people involved in missions, and I'm certainly for that. But let's not also forget that there's a threefold way that most churches are involved in giving, or excuse me, in in offering in uh, in missions. They're committed to going, they're committed to praying, but they're also committed to giving. And by reminding people that through the offering we're giving to support missions and showing them the results of that, you disciple them in their total or in their full in the fullness of their missional responsibility. Now. So let me summarize before I get to some best practices or some how-tos. The offering has been minimized in worship services, and I've given several reasons for that. I've given some very well-known public kind of reasons, but I've also given some not-so-often-mentioned reasons that I think are pretty clear that have to be addressed if we're going to move forward on this issue. And I've challenged you to rethink why offerings are important from a biblical and practical perspective, and I've especially underscored that the offering is can be a discipleship moment. Now let me finish the podcast in the last half by talking about some best practices to emulate and some bad practices to eliminate if we're going to really do the offerings well. And oh, by the way, I just made up that alliteration on the spot. I don't do a lot of alliteration, but that one was pretty good. Some best practices to uh, uh, copy. (laughs) I can't even say it again. (laughs) And some practices to eliminate. Okay, here we go. Here's some best practices. Number one, celebrate the offering. Now, I was in a worship service a few months ago at a large First Baptist church. And quite frankly, it was a pretty traditional service. It was a very well-done service, but I was sitting there on the front row getting ready to preach. And so far in the service, there hadn't been anything that had happened that was out of the ordinary or that really caught my attention. We were having a normal and wonderful worship service uh, in that Sunday. And then the pastor uh, stepped to the microphone at the conclusion of a song and said these words First family, it's offering time. And when he said that, about 1,500 people started applauding. And I don't mean golf clap, I mean applauding like they were getting an encore at a major performance of a leading musical in a community or in, in, their, in a theater in their community. They were, uh, they were applauding uh, enthusiastically. It was so loud and so striking that it startled me on the front row, and I turned and started looking around the auditorium. And I saw all around the room people with big smiles on their faces, clapping their hearts out because it was offering time. The pastor then uh, led into an offering, and I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But then he he led into the offering, and it was received. And after the service, I said, Pastor, uh, it was a very nice service, and I thank you for inviting me to preach today. But the most striking part of your worship service was the offering. And he smiled and said, yeah, it's a pretty cool time every Sunday. I said, do you say the same thing every time? He said, yes. He said, it's become a kind of a code in our church. I step up to the microphone and say, first family or first Baptist, it's offering time. And the people erupt in applause with enthusiasm because of the excitement they have about getting to give. I said, how did you start this tradition? He said, well... A few years ago I preached a series of messages on worship and of course I preached on uh, singing and I preached on scripture reading and preaching and responding to God's word and I preached on postures of worship and we learned different ones of those and and then I also preached on offerings and I taught the people how significant the offering was to worship and then we uh, we spent a, f- a few weeks really looking at how people gave in the New Testament, and not only how they gave, but the attitude in which they gave. And we discovered that the offering was a joyous time, that we were to give with hilarity, with celebration. And so it, it just happened uh, as a part of that teaching that one Sunday I said, First Baptist, uh, it's offering time. And the people just erupted in applause and actually laughter that first Sunday because they all remembered the, Sunday, the sermon the previous Sunday. And that simply birthed a tradition in our church. And so when I step to the pulpit uh, every service and say, uh, First family, uh, it's offering time. There's this round of applause that erupts because people remember and they've been taught and they reinforce that the offering is a moment of celebration. And so I'm not saying that you should copy that practice exactly, but you should copy the spirit of the practice. And that is the offering is not a throwaway time in the service or a wasted time in the service. It's not a downtime in the service or a time to be avoided in the service. The offering is a celebration. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of joy. It's a celebration of giving. It's a celebration of investment in ministry. It's a celebration. And so whatever you have to do to change the attitude about the offering Take steps to do that so that the offering becomes more of a celebration in your worship service than it currently is. The second thing I would say is is to plan 90 seconds of teaching prior to every offering. Now, the first word in that sentence is going to throw some of you, plan. I'm, it's very rare, even in churches that receive an offering, it's very rare that I see a church that has made an intentional plan about their offering every single time they do it and yet in the churches that do plan to receive their offering that i see it being used as a teaching opportunity to really magnify the discipleship aspects of offerings Uh, planning 90 seconds of teaching prior to every offering can include several things let me give you some examples of some things i've seen done Uh, first of all of course uh, there can simply be the pastor Uh, Making some kind of statement or some kind of introductory comment or some kind of teaching moment related to the offering and I say the pastor because the offering is such a high moment in the worship service. Uh, I think that this is a, a, a point when the pastor or the lead pastor wants to take advantage of that opportunity to, be a, to have his voice associated with the offering. But beyond that, I've also seen video testimonies used. And what I mean by that is um, a video testimony of a church member saying, uh, today, as we're about to receive our offering, let me tell you what I like to give to our church. And they just give a 60-second statement of why they like to give and what giving means to them. Um, I've also seen uh, that the video used in another way, and that is a 60-second video report of how the offering has been used recently in the life and ministry of the church, saying today as we receive our offering, uh, we thought you'd like to see how it's been spent and invested in our children's ministry. We'd like for you to see what happened last year at youth camp that that took place as a result of your offering. And you have these 60-second videos that show people what the offering has recently accomplished in the church. And you can also then use more professionally made videos related to missions, particularly missions that you support in our denomination or in other ways where you show a 60-second clip to show what the offering has accomplished somewhere else in the world. So these are ways that you can use 90 seconds in the worship service connecting the giving Uh, that's about to be done to the ministry of the church, either by the pastor giving some short statement, by a person giving a short statement in a live testimony type setting, or better yet, a person being recorded on video to give their 60-second speech about why they like to give to the ministry of the church, or 60-second videos showing one particular highlight of the church's ministry and how the offering was used, to uh, impact that ministry and what it was able to accomplish, or even using something from missions or missions uh, giving. You say, man, this just takes so much time and so much effort and so much technical skill. No, no, and no, it really doesn't. Uh, we're talking about iPhone quality video here. We're talking about having someone just sit down and say, tell me why you like to give to our church, and shooting 60 seconds of that and then editing that so that you get the core, the, the core of it out and you can present that on a Sunday as sort of an on-the-street interview of why people like to give. But the key is planning someone has to take the initiative to make the offering a discipleship moment by planning how they're going to use the 90 seconds before the offering is received uh, to make that uh, discipleship moment count. Another thing I've seen done that's really effective is the, a layperson or persons uh, that, that's a donor being invited to pray the dedicatory prayer for the offering. Now, I saw this done in one church, and I asked the pastor afterwards how they did it every Sunday, and he gave me some different models for it. So let me just show you what I saw and then tell you what he told me about the different models. In this particular church, the pastor stepped forward, announced it was time for the offering, uh, made a brief introductory comment about the offering, and then the offering was received. While the offering was being received, a family, a husband and wife in this case with a couple of children, uh, got up and came forward and were standing at the front of the auditorium, and the father picked up a microphone, and he just simply stood there. When the offering was received, the people that were receiving the offering then brought it forward and gathered around this family that was standing at the front. And then the father said this, Our family gives to our church every week. We do so because we believe in the ministry of our church. Let's pray together. And then he bowed his head and prayed a dedicatory prayer for the offering. So I asked the pastor later, I said, Is that something you do every week? He said, Every week. He said, sometimes it's a senior adult. Sometimes it's a young single person. Sometimes it's a family like this. We try to have different ages and different ethnicities as well. He said, "We do." He said, the only qualification is I, I pick someone that, that I know is giving to our church on a regular basis. And then I simply ask them to make that simple statement, to come forward and say, um, our family, or I as an individual, I, our family gives to our church on a regular basis. We do that because we believe in the ministry of what we're accomplishing. Let's pray together. That's all they say, but by the symbolism of them standing there, and week after week after week, you see an old person, a young person, a single person, a married person, a couple, a couple with kids. You see different ages, different ethnicities. By the pastor carefully selecting, what's he doing? He's sending a profound message across the congregation. We love our church, and we want to give to support it. And then the last thing I'd say in best practices is to receive the offering distinctly, but quickly. Now, one of the reasons some people don't like to take an offering in public is because it simply takes too long. They don't want to take five minutes for people to pass one set of offering plates down 25 rows of people. Well, don't do that. Um, One church that I know has done this for years. Uh, They have an offering basket at the end of every row in their worship service. And so the pastor steps forward. Uh, makes a simple discipleship statement at the beginning of a teaching moment related to the offering, or shows a video I've described or does something and then says, now it's time to receive our offering. Those of you seated at the far right of, this, of the auditorium, if you'll look under your seats, you'll find an offering basket. Please take that up and pass it across the congregation at this time. And they have about 20 rows in this church, seats about 700-800 people, and uh, those baskets are picked up and they're sent across the auditorium, every row has their own basket, and the offering is received in less than a minute in an auditorium of 700-800 people. So the emphasis is not so much on the time spent receiving the offering, the emphasis is spent on the time introducing the offering, the discipleship moment prior to receiving the offering, the short video that might be shown, etc., and then the The offering is received rather quickly, but it's also received distinctly. It's received so that people have time to focus on giving their offering. They're not hearing announcements. They're not watching a slideshow. They're not listening to music. They're not standing up in preparation for the next song. They are distinctly receiving an offering, and even though it only takes about a minute, that's where their undivided focus is so that they are participating, or if they're not, they're having to think about why they're not participating during that offering moment. So here's some best practices. Celebrate the offering. Plan 90 seconds of teaching prior to every offering have a lay person, a donor in your congregation come forward and pray the dedicatory prayer, recruit people and train them how to do this so that they say something like we give to our church because we believe in what it accomplishes and then lead a simple prayer. And then learn and then receive the offering quickly but distinctly so that people know this is the moment when we give and we're not doing anything else but giving because it's that important in our worship service. Well, to close it out, four practices to eliminate. Number 1, eliminate skipping the offering. I think you've already heard me say that. Number two, eliminate the boxes or the baskets in the back and you can give if you want to on the way out. Uh, We're not here to tip God, we're here to give an offering. And so there's not anything wrong with asking people to do that. And I would really like for us to eliminate those other means of giving. You say, well, yeah, but some people don't want to put the money in the basket or it's too noticeable, they're afraid people will see them. Well, like they're not going to see themselves, or people aren't going to see them filing by a box or a basket in the back. Let's do it a better way. Let's make the offering a part of worship like it's supposed to be. Another practice I'd like to eliminate is telling people not to give. Uh, why do you do that? Why do you tell people not to give? I hear it often. If you're our guest today, we'd ask you not to give. Uh, Our gift is our worship service that we're giving to you. It's like, well, I get what you're trying to say. You don't want to create a wrong expectation, But why don't you say something like this instead? Now we come to the moment in our worship service where our church family wants to give an offering to God. If you'd like to participate, we invite you to join us. Although you should feel no obligation to do so, we certainly want you to have the opportunity to give an offering to God if you've come prepared to do so today. Because we're giving an offering to God, why would you tell people they can't do that? Ah, and then finally, don't be apologetic about church finances as a part of the offering. Don't say things like, well, I know we have to pay the bills or, well, you know, the lights have got to be turned on or, you know, this cold air conditioning you're feeling, somebody's got to pay for that. This is not the time for negative or apologetic comments about church finances. It's a time to say to people, what our church does is important. What we're accomplishing makes a difference. I'm inviting you today to give resources and money to help make that happen. And I'm not apologizing for it in any way or fashion. I want you to give to support what God is doing in our community. All right, well, I'm like the old man on the porch yelling, get off my yard about this offering business here at the end. I don't want to be that way. Uh, these are things I'd like for us to skip, but I recognize that these are in some ways just personal preferences of mine, so I'll leave it at that. But I will not leave it to say that it's a personal preference that whether you receive an offering or not. Uh, you, you can't make an honest study of, of Old Testament or New Testament worship services and not come away with a conviction that the offering is a part of worship we got to get away from this idea that the worship service is singing. It is singing, and I love singing, and I like to listen to good singing. But the worship service is about praying. It's about reading Scripture and hearing Scripture declared and responding to Scripture as it's taught. It's about uh, repenting. The worship service is about giving. It's about making an offering. It's all those things and we need to rediscover a more fully-orbed theology and practice of what the offerings can mean in our worship services. I challenge you to rethink what you're doing in this important area as you lead on.